Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Living Room Logic Welcome back to yet another episode of Season 3 of Living Room Logic. Me and Andrew's beautiful, blossoming baby of podcasting. And... Uh, again, this is another slightly different episode in that one of the hosts actually knows what we're talking about and has not had to do a week of extreme cramming into the topic we are covering. I'm interviewing Andrew, our, our lovely, deep-voiced, uh, beautiful, handsome man, mm. um, who just so happens to be a neuroscientist. And he studies differences in men and women in terms of neurological diseases, diseases of the brain. And so the first question I have for you, Andrew, is why are you focusing your research particularly on women? Yeah, it's it's a funny one, because if you asked me five years ago, I would have not even been aware of why. Yeah. And. Like, like when I went to college and when I was looking for college courses, I was I was really I knew I liked science. I knew I liked things that were unknown. Mm-hmm. So for me, the two things I was going towards was like astrophysics mm-hmm. and neuroscience. Mm-hmm. And I those were my two on the CAO to go to college. And I didn't get the points for neuroscience. I got the points for astrophysics. So I got that offer. And then I got the then I got like a turn of events that through the like higher education access route from like if you're from an impoverished area, they bring a few of us stragglers oh, in. Okay, and that's the only reason I got into neuroscience. Wow. So like, yeah, so pure, you know, it could we could be having a much more interesting conversation about but, <laughs> astrophysics. <laughs> but um, so so my whole thing was uh, I really wanted to pursue something that we were really clueless about. Mm-hmm. And neuroscience is obviously a wide open field as far as we know a ton and we know infinitely less. <laughs> you okay. know, we know crazy amount. We there, we are barely aware of how little we know. OK, because so, mm-hmm. it's so complicated. And when I was going through yeah. neuroscience, I kept seeing things about sex differences and differences between men and women. And I was like, huh, you know, as far as I can tell throughout the history of science, there have been men and women. And I was like, it's kind of strange (laughs) that we're so perplexed by differences. And I went into the history of it a bit. And there's absolutely horror stories in the history of it. There are, because in the history of medicine, it was very much so, they would test it in men. And then Mm. if it's good enough for men, it works for women. They were like, yep, that's fine. Yeah. And th- but this this was um absolute disasters. There were studies of breast cancer that would tr- give a treatment for breast cancer and only do those clinical trials in men. And we're talking like thousands of men. Even what? though it's a, yeah, and this is breast cancer. This is something that's done that's 95 plus percent in women. 
There was morning sickness pills, the thalidomide incidents in the 60s, where it was a morning sickness pill that was put on the market after testing in men, and then it was given to pregnant women. And it proved to cause developmental defects in the baby. And obviously, they didn't realise until nine months later, until it was taken off the market. Why? Because this bloody tablet wasn't tested in women, right? And the thing that really, really shocked me about this, this this happened in like the 60s. And there's a ton of stories that I could go into, but let's not about this. It wasn't until the 1990s that the FDA in the States actually said, right, to get a drug on the market, you have to test it in women. It wasn't until the 1990s, right? And since 2010, the majority, it's something like 85% of the drugs that have been taken off the market retrospectively mm. have been taken off the market for having more severe side effects in women. Okay? And this circles back to the fact that they weren't tested in women in the first wow. place and they got on the market. Um, and th- this is still continuing to this day. It wasn't until 2015 that preclinical studies, so studies in animals and in cells, that you had to really test women. And that if you're applying for any grants, like with Research Ireland or Science Foundation Ireland, you have to at least explain how you're going to address the issue of sex and gender in your study. Because it is showing to be more diverse. But that's 2015, Abe. Oh my god. It's 2015. So the thing that kind of blows my mind is that we, it's, for me, I'm like, yeah, Every human who's ever come to life has had a mother and has had a father, father. of some degree. They have had grandparents there, you know, and it's like, how has this been missed? How, how bloody obvious is it that there are individual differences between males and females, right? Could I interject there and just say, like, could you maybe map out what are the specific differences between men and women that make all of this so? Yeah, absolutely. So... There are four main components that we think about when we're thinking about sex differences, right? There is the genetic difference, okay? Mm. We all heard about our XX and our XY, that 23rd chromosome pair. Mm. And that is the key genetic difference. You get two Xs if you're a girl, one from mom, one from dad, and an X and a Y, uh, the X from your mom and the Y from your dad. And this is your typical genetics. These are the genes that drive certain differences. Yeah. And Mm. these genetics drive uh, much of the other biological things. And the next one is your early life development. So people often think that you don't get any hormones until puberty. But in the first, literally the first day to three days of life, you're ovaries and your testicles will produce a huge hormonal surge. Yeah. Right? And what this hormonal surge will do is it will actually organize and begin driving your brain in slightly different areas to be sexually dimorphic. And what this means is to be different sizes and different shapes. Okay? And a few of these are in areas like sexual behavior. A few of these are just in other different subtle ways. You know, and I, I can go into that in more detail in a bit. But this is the first one where the second you're born, not only do you have, you know, the anatomical difference, but the hormones that are released then drive uh, brain architecture differences. Mm. Okay. The next one. Yeah, the next one that comes out is puberty. Okay. And it, hormones have a massive effect on, on puberty. Mm-hmm. 
and it's the essence of it. Uh, girls typically go through puberty earlier and they receive a lot of estrogens from their ovaries and it drives a physical change. Okay, and it drives a physical change. It redistributes where fat goes on their body. It drives the secondary sexual characteristics development. Okay, and it's the same with testosterone Mm. in men. But men typically get it a bit older. And what's a little interesting about that is that women physically, like their body, matures quicker than men's. However, their brain is still at the same level of immaturity. And uh, this is quite an interesting thing because it's pinned back to a lot of uh, mental health differences in men and women in early life because women are treated like adults sooner than men just because they look like adults, not because they are adults. Okay. And you'd have like kids in, yeah, first, third class who would be the same age. You'd have Timmy, who is four and a half foot, and you'd have Sarah, who is five foot eight. And they are yeah. biologically in their brain, both kids. They're both children. Yeah. But you're going to treat Sarah like an adult just yeah. because you look at it. And it, it, it takes away and it adds a pressure and a stress. Um, and this continues throughout life. And then in later life, uh, hormones tend to decline in both men and women. But uh, whilst men, they get testosterone and they kind of, it declines in old age particularly. But in women, it's very different because women have the menstrual cycle. And this is a global change in hormones throughout their life that moves up and down, up and down. Then they can go through pregnancy as well, which is another huge shift in hormones. This is, these are things that men don't at all worry about, but it is another huge shift in hormones. Of course. And then they go through menopause which is a complete deprivation of hormones. And it's another massive changing event in their body that affects their whole Mm. system globally. And this is something, again, Mm. that makes the way that they are physiologically a bit different. And the last stage uh, of what's different between men and women is the social and environmental factors at play. Because... Yeah. We have lived in a society which has tre- treated and expected different things from men and women. Yeah. And how those different social pressures absolutely does have an, an impact. But from a biological standpoint, we kind of have to focus on what we can control. And yeah. from we kind of look at it from a psychological standpoint and an environmental standpoint to see how it interacts because it's very hard to control what happens outside. So a lot of what I work on is primarily on the genetic, the early life hormones and the hormones throughout life and how that changes. Really interesting. And so, okay, so there's very clear differences in, in physiology and development, all of these things. How do they turn into differences in in the way men and women get neurological diseases. Yeah, so um, this is particularly upsetting for me because, um, you know, I was kind of thinking, right, well, you know, it's hugely obvious that men and women are different. You know, it's hugely obvious that men and women have different lifetime events happening in their body and things like that. Yeah. And I was like, right, okay, so perhaps there's a few diseases that maybe are 10% 10% more likely in men or 5% more likely women. Maybe. Perhaps it was such a subtle difference subtle, yeah. that we missed it. And, you know, I, I could get over that. But I can't because it's not. 
Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia. It's something that a lot of people will get in their lifetime. Twice as many women than men get Alzheimer's. Mm. Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease is a neurodegenerative motor neuron disease, right? Which changes and you lose neurons in a certain part of your brain, which is responsible for controlling motion and inhibiting unwanted motion. So you get a lot of people with Parkinson's who maybe have shakes and things like that. Yeah. 50% more people with Parkinson's are men than women. Wow. We can look at other things as well. It's not just this kind of degenerative stuff. You can look at autism. Four to one, it is 400% more common in men than women. And this is a completely different side of it. So you have four males with autism to uh, one woman with autism. And now this used to be even higher. This used to be six to one. But there's, they're getting better and better at diagnosing autism. And what they were originally saying was that the way that it was between two things, they were saying that the way that society generally prepares men and women for life tends to be a little different, be it from marketing, like you tend to get um, kids trucks, so little boys trucks, and you tend to get little girls Barbies. This is a massive oversimplification, okay? But the the tendencies tend to go that way. But what that means is that young girls with autism would tend to have more exposure to social behavior younger. They would play with dolls and make pretend with that more often than men would. And then it would be the same. They would be pushed towards a particular kind of childhood party, for example, or socializing style that would be interacting with each other, whilst boys would be tending to be going towards interacting with things. And this would mask the autism at a younger age. And then it would be missed. Interesting. So so between that and we're getting better and better at diagnosing autism. So that was a huge contributor, but it is still massively more so in men. Why? ADHD is also four to one in men. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. There was a huge trend of people self-diagnosing. And then suddenly, once it was given more attention, there was a huge trend in diagnosing people with ADHD. Again, this might be something which is more common due to the way society is and the way that we have things like social media and stuff. Perhaps that's a driving factor. But again, Mm. this is another cognitive issue, which is more common in men. It's a four to one in men. And then we can go a completely different route and we can have things like autoimmune disorders, okay? Autoimmune disorders like multiple sclerosis, for example, which is, again, it's a neurological um, degeneration of the insulation that goes around the neurons that where we pass electricity from A to B, information from A to B, that kind of gets destroyed. And it's by our own immune system. Our own immune system wow. recognizes that and destroys it. And that is three times more common in women than men. So for every three women that have it, there's one man. Mm-hmm. But it, again, it's extremely more complicated because in the men that get it, the men tend to have worse symptoms. Wow. So it's, it's again, very complicated. And we mm. have things like depression and anxiety, which are all more common in women, but they're also more fatal in men. That is very interesting. So we have neurodevelopmental we have psychiatric, 
we have autoimmune, and we have neurodegenerative diseases, all of which have significant sex differences in their basis and significant or in their incidence, I should say, in the population of the world and in Ireland. So it really needs to be looked at. All right. You've just blown my mind, by the way. <laughs> I did not know a lot of that. It's really quite interesting, particularly I really didn't know about aut- the autism or ADHD and yeah. that it's heavily skewed towards men. I actually also thought that depression and anxiety was more common in men but you're yeah that that makes sense that it is it is potentially more common in women and more fail in men oh wow so my next question is how are pharmaceutical companies and and the drug world treating this Uh, is is there a difference in the drugs that treat men and women no they're rubbish they're they're it's not at all studied it's like i said they only tested in men and women because they had to in the 1990s before that it was optional and you didn't really have to oh my god we only started Uh testing drugs preclinically in men and women in 2015 yeah in male rats and female rats and you know in male cells and female cells so the the way that this is done is completely behind and it's outrageous that it's behind it's a i i because when when i go through all those commonly known diseases and the massive sex differences and incidents and you try to think that this is only something that has begun being studied as maybe having a sex specific treatment strategy since what the 1990s they tested and most of the main information for how it will work comes preclinically. Nothing ever goes straight into humans. Yeah. And they've only started looking preclinically in 2015. Is that just an Irish thing? No, no. This is worldwide and many countries still don't require it. Wow. So this is what drives me insane. And it, it, this is where my research comes in. We're so far behind that my research right now is trying to show for the first time that someone's sex, their genetic XX or XY, and their hormones interact differently. So what I'm trying to show is that if you give a man estrogen, it interacts differently than if you give a a woman estrogen, that they have slightly different effects, which is what we're seeing. That has not been done. You're testing for um, differences in terms of the response what is it that you test? What yeah. is the specific change? Yeah, so this is actually insanely complicated and really, really cool at the same time. <laughs> so do, do you remember years ago when we got really excited because of the uh, Human Genome Project? Yes. Where they mapped all of the different genes and stuff. And that seemed like a massive thing at the time. Yeah. But now it's actually quite, um, now we do things like transcriptomics, which is, every single gene that you're expressing at any moment and you can pay four grand and you can get it from whatever sample you sent. Okay. So the other thing that you can do is all of these genes. So all of the genes in your genetic makeup, they are translating into something you build, right? And the Mm. things that you tend to build are proteins Mm -hmm. and it's the proteins that are functional. The proteins do the thing. Yeah. So there's a bit of a wiggle room just because you show a gene is upregulated doesn't mean 
what that gene is translated into, the protein, is actually happening yet. You haven't mm-hmm. proved that. Mm-hmm. So in science and bi- the molecular and cellular sciences, we tend to focus on proteins. And that's like the final proof of the pudding. Mm-hmm. So what we did, we have a model, which was quite complicated, where what we did is we had male and female mice. After puberty, some of these mice were gonadectomized. So they, we took their testicles and we took their ovaries because we're horribly cruel and confusing people. <laughs> and then some kept. And then later in their life, we then treated them with a hormonal therapy, right? This led to a, a something like eight groups, okay? Eight groups that were all differently treated, male, female, gonads, no gonads, and gonads are your testicles and your ovaries, and hormonal therapy or no hormonal therapy. And we looked at the mm-hmm. entire set of all of the thousands of proteins that are being expressed in a part of the brain at a moment. We took all of that That's and insane. we compared each of the groups to identify what proteins are being upregulated, what are being downregulated, and what proteins are being differently regulated, depending on if you give a hormonal therapy to a man or to a woman. Okay. And it's extremely complicated because what we do is we we then group all of these different proteins that contribute some kind of function together into group functions. So maybe they clear waste. Maybe they produce energy. Maybe they are structural. Mm-hmm. Maybe they help, you know, in organizing genes or translating genes or all of that stuff cool different cellular stuff going on and we group all the different proteins it's just insane how little yeah. is known i it almost sounds like you guys are really at the forefront of something here and you're almost going to kind of crack some really important stuff about our core understanding of of what it is means to be ma- male or female x or y or whatever you want to well, call it well yes and no The the reason I say that is because medicine has made massive strides, and I don't think we're looking Mm -hmm. at it from a point of view that we're going to completely change it. That's not the movement. The movement is a movement called precision medicine, which is to optimize the approach for the individual. Because this is, and this goes way back, you know, it's really funny whenever we talk about like the cutting edge, because there's always a Greek who said it first. And it's like it, the the father of <laughs> modern medicine is Hippocrates, right? And he said yeah. that you shouldn't treat the disease within the person. You should treat the person who has the disease. And that's where mm-hmm. we're going. That's what we're looking at. We're trying to get to that place where even at the bare minimum, which is the first level of precision medicine, for me at least, is are they male or are they female? And what is that doing? Uh, it's very basic to say, are they male or are they female? But that's not it either. We're also looking mm. at what level of hormones are in their body. Okay, maybe they're genetically XX, but what if they've gone through a hormonal replacement therapy to transition into a man? And we know nothing about that. Mm-hmm. We literally know nothing about how those things interact, but we do it. And so it can sound kind of crude, Andrew, when you say, I'm looking at the mm. difference between... Uh, male and female x and y but what i like so much about your research is that 
it is coming out of a place yeah. of inequality. You said it yourself. You're you think it's crazy, and I so I think it's quite valiant what you're doing because this needs to happen. A- anyone with uh, two X chromosomes needs to be represented better in terms of their the way that they are treated for for neurological diseases. It's insane. I I completely agree. I think it's completely insane and. I think what our research is trying to get to the point uh, of a lot of it is we see we see a tendency that a lot of these differences in some diseases that are later life, uh, a lot of it comes from menopause because women yeah. tend to have a higher rate of cellular metabolism than men. Okay, so they tend to produce mm-hmm. more energy and use it better and then clear out the waste faster. Uh, than men, uh, typically yeah. in an individual cell. This isn't a global thing. This is just inside the cell, the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell really kicks more ass in a girl than a boy. Okay. Okay. And a lot okay. of this seems to be driven by estrogen. And what we're kind of going into is that in menopause, which we know is a risk factor for a ton of autoimmune and neurodegenerative diseases in women. And it, like, you know, I said earlier, things like Parkinson's is uh, 50% more common in men, but menopause is still yeah. a major risk factor for a woman getting it. So what we're yeah. kind of seeing is that this hormonal influence is perhaps changing the risks for disease. And what we're just trying to show is that maybe a hormonal therapy might not work for men and women. But what if it just worked in women? Mm-hmm. And what if it just worked in men? Like, we, we could get to a place where a yeah. drug is only beneficial in men, but not women. Maybe it's only beneficial in women mm-hmm. of this group. Maybe it's, and this is kind of where we're going, where perhaps we have turned down drugs in the past because we, we tested them across men and women. What if there were drugs that really would have cured this disorder, have treated this disorder effectively, but just in men? That's so interesting. And it opens up so much yeah. doors for medicine. And, and, you know, you might have a ward where it's like, OK, we know that this treatment works in all the females in this room. And we know that this drug works a lot better in all of the men. And yeah. going back to the quality side of things, I think the awareness of this is something that I would love to see. Like, you know, and I, clearly you're doing a great job. and making people more aware of this but it is crazy that not more people know about this i think that mostly comes down to the lack of research around it because the the most common argument against it is well where's the evidence that this can happen and you know honestly for me it's like well we haven't done it yet and that's the problem (laughs) you know it's like and they're kind of saying well yeah but that's that's it it's it's probably not too far off what was happening with climate change in the 80s and 90s where they were like well show me show me the books you know if there's no evidence for it that that you know and it's like well that's what i'm doing i'm trying to show it because there's clearly enough evidence that there are sex differences in the incidence of different diseases and disorders and illnesses that we're i'm just trying to bring more evidence to bolster that so we can move forward and try to move from this crude treat whatever disease happens to be in your system to most optimally treat you the individual who has the disease yeah that's some fantastic research and i think everyone will be 
kind of refreshed to hear that you are <laughs> part of a team who are some yeah. of the first people to be working yeah. on this. So thank you so much for finally telling us about all the crazy stuff you do. And I want you to keep us updated. This is really interesting. Absolutely. Stuff. I have, a, I have a whole PhD to keep talking about. So there'll be years of these episodes. Don't you worry. <laughs> Can't wait. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. This is the end of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time. If you're feeling generous and you're not completely skinned, why don't you give us some of your money? Join our Patreon. Join our Patreon. Join our Patreon. Join our Patreon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 